Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Shrobsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Pot. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously, where to find amazing birds. Head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and be sure to sign up to our newsletter on the site so you do not miss out on any of the exciting things that are coming up. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and please take some time to rate and comment on it. So this is episode 30, and in this episode, I have a fascinating conversation with Rick Simpson, who along with his wife, Elise, founded WaderQuest. Rick chats to us all the way from the United Kingdom about waders and why conserving them is so important. Rick's passion for these birds shines through throughout the conversation as he shares not just about WaderQuest, but on his travels throughout the world, along with the challenges he experienced in his personal life along the way. So let's dig into today's episode. Okay, Rick, it's good to have you on the show. I know we're chatting, chatting to you from the UK. Um, I think all South Africans always think about the UK as that the weather is terrible, but right now where we are, the weather is absolutely shocking. So how's things going on your side? Well, I have to say I'm looking out of the window at uh, a hazy blue sky, I would say. But of course, this time of year, it doesn't mean it's terribly warm out there. Bit of a bit of a chilly wind blowing but uh, yeah I mean I, I know people think of England as being that way but uh, it really isn't all the time I can promise you. Yeah Rick I know that you guys are in the middle of uh, I think you said in quarantine or lockdown or something so how's it going in the UK? Um, it's a bit crazy I heard with the COVID-19 and that what's happening on your side of the world there with the COVID-19 situation? Well it, I, I'm afraid it is all a bit confusing and as such, um, we've, uh, we, we, we're trying to ignore it. I know that sounds ridiculous. And I don't mean that in a flippant way. Um, if, if you turn on the television, there, there is so much, um, you know, on, onto the news and so on, there's so much argument and so on about what's right and what's wrong, et cetera, et cetera, um, that I think most people now are just sort of just saying, well, I'm just going to do what I can to keep myself and my family safe. And actually, if everybody did that, that would be, pretty much ideal. In our personal case, uh, Elise unfortunately has to have an operation next week on her tonsils, which means that we are forbidden to go out or have any visitors for two weeks before and two weeks after, which um, uh, isn't too bad for us because generally we work from home anyway and we thankfully do get on, so being cooped up is not a problem. And then besides, we're not going to chat about waders and birding and that in a moment, but besides birds, what else are your interests? Well. They are few and far between. I used to, when I was young, I used to play sport, cricket and, and rugby um, and basketball when I was very much younger. Um, but um, recently, you know, birding really has been the, the driving force for, for all my spare time, really, um, throughout my life. And of course, as you get longer in the tooth, um, you know, it, it becomes something that 
uh, is it becomes you know the easiest thing to do so to speak and uh, I like writing about it and reading about it as well as actually doing it so I just thought you know just to start why the heck waders I mean if there's two nemesis birds that birders speak about we talk about little brown jobs lbjs and waders and you your passion is for the bird that so many people almost see as the nemesis bird why waders well it it's it, it is right quite complicated but i can i can the, the story um of me getting into bird watching involved me being at home when i was a young child and my mother despairing of my noisiness and so on you know goodness sake quieten down do something quietly and thrust a bird book across the table which happened to be there um towards me at the time i was aware of the birds in the garden and knew what they were i sort of thought there were 15 species of bird in the world and they all came to my garden that was really my understanding of it all and i looked through this book and the book i still have today and when i turned to page 42 there was a picture of a lapwing northern lapwing and i thought as children do blimey or crikey i'd like to see one of those um so that was really how it all started because my brother said well you know i know where we can go and see those get on our bikes and we'll go off and see them and when i did i was absolutely captivated by them and that is what got me into on, on the path of bird watching and i think because it was a wader that connection has always stuck with me now with regard to what i do now the reason waders have come to the fore is really because of my realization that throughout my life i've always liked waders and my realization of the the, the terrible plight that waders are facing made me think well if if i like waders and, and i've been interested in waders and i didn't know this stuff well clearly a lot of other people don't know it and this is the sort of thing that, that you know that, that spurred me on to make me think perhaps i ought to do something about trying to let people know just how drastic things are for waders um so latterly that has become something of an obsession i would say for many of our southern african listeners the first their first bird book would have been a robert so what was that first bird book you spoke about? It's just called Birds, a British, oh, just Birds and Their Nests. Is it, it was a, it was a um, coffee table book, you know, with A4 um, landscape, big drawing on one side and, and a little bit of blurb on the left-hand side. I've, I've never seen it anywhere else. I, I don't know anybody else who's got one, um, but it's, uh, it's sitting on my sh- shelf somewhere in amongst the 2,000 odd bird books I've got, or wildlife books I've got. And uh, yeah, it, it, I've kept it purely because it, it has that connection. And in, indeed, it's probably stolen from my brother. It was almost certainly my brother's book in the first place. Yeah, I even think back to when I was young. You know, I used to go to my grandmother's house down in Scopra, which is about 30 kilometers from where I stay right now. And she had this old Robert's bird guide and she used to feed the birds outside, give them, you know, fruit and that type thing. And I still remember right from back then, even though I only started birding later on, I could still remember the crested barbets and the weavers. And, you know, that was maybe the where the seeds excuse the pun for my own birding journey started it's amazing how you know we can still think back as birders back to that first bird book and it's i, w- I don't have that first bird book unfortunately but uh, it's really got really cool memories um rick i said to you when when i first had it uh, we first started chatting before we came we went on and started recording that 
besides Waiter Quest uh, and and maybe a couple of things I've, made, I've managed to find about you on the internet, there's not much I actually know about you. And I think a lot of listeners might be saying, who is Rick Simpson? We have no idea who this who this guy is, like we'd say in South Africa, who this oak is. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did this, well, you spoke about how the passion for waiters started, but a little bit about your story, maybe how, you know, a little bit about your birding journey and that kind of thing also. Yeah, well, it's nothing special about me, I can assure you. I'm just an ordinary bloke. And from those, that humble beginning of of having a fascination for, or realization that there were more birds than those we see in the garden. I just really was a, a local patch watcher. I just watched birds. I'd go out on my bicycle as a child and gradually this sort of built. And as I got older and had a car, I was able to go further afield. I think perhaps inevitably went through a period of being uh, you know, a, a rampant twitcher, uh, trying to build my British list, rushing off to all corners of the country to see rare birds. I then developed a, a taste for world birding, um, because I, I rather felt that, uh, the, you know, it's lovely to see um, a, a bird that's very rare, but very often they were in, in not very good condition, not very good plumage. And it began to dawn on me that actually I could spend similar amount of money on bird or birding and go on trips to see these birds in their natural habitat, singing and, and doing the things that they do in a rather more agreeable circumstances for the bird. And so that sort of led on. Um, and the conservation, uh, I've obviously always been a member of the RSPB and, and always done my bit for conservation, but the conservation side of it really came about with this realisation of the plight of, of waders back in 2012, actually, when we, we actually started this. Um, and that was after we'd come back from Brazil. My, my wife, Elise, she's Brazilian and we, we'd lived in Brazil on and off since we met. Um, we did a five act, five year stint and a came back stint, excuse the, the pun there. Um, we, and then we came back to England in 2012. And um, that's when really it all, all started. The, the conservation of waders started. Although we had done some projects with schools and local children in the rainforests um, in southeast Brazil before that. What are some of these countries you visited? I know it said on uh, in the description of your book that 14 countries and nine different flyaways in the world. What are some of these countries you visited? And as uh, someone who's passionate about waders, is there some of these places that just stand out in terms in, in your memory as just like wow places? Well, uh, yeah, that, the, the, the reference to 14 countries there was specifically for our Wader Quest event, or well, not event really, but, but a, a big adventure that we did which perhaps I'll, I'll put a bit more meat on the bones about that in a minute. That, that's where we visited 14 countries. We've been to other places since, but certainly there are, there are a couple of, one of the places that, that really I would go back to in a trice tomorrow is, is this place Paktale in, in uh, Thailand. I mean, not just because it's, it's probably the easiest place to see um, spoonbilled sandpiper during the, the non-breeding season, but because it, it's a place where you can get surrounded by shorebirds, you go into the salt pans there, and there's just there's just so much life. In fact, if you if you went there, you wouldn't believe that there was a problem with with shorebirds or waders at all. You would just think, well, you know, there's millions of these things, and that is part of really the problem why why shorebirds have, have been overlooked. Because when we do come across them, we tend to come across them in 
big numbers, especially outside the breeding season. So that would be definitely one of my favourites. And broom um, in, in north, uh, northern Western Australia, that was, the time we spent there was fantastic. And I've also got a, a soft spot for the west coast of the United States because there's a, like a strip, not just the United States, but all the Americas, there's a strip um, down the coast there with some really nice endemics, like black turnstone, rock sandpiper, surf bird. You know, there's some, some really special birds over there. And so there's the, the places that I love because of the spectacle. And there are places which I like because of the, the, the quality, if you want to call it that, of the species that you, you can find. You know, we're speaking about waders, and for some people who might listen to this, it might be a little bit of a weird word. So how would you define what a wader is in simple language and what separates it from other species or other groups of birds? Well, that, of course, is the million-dollar question. And I'm, you'll be disappointed to know there is no simple answer to that. Some people prefer to call them shorebirds, and for good reason. We prefer, we just happen to have grown up calling them waders. But neither of those names really are terribly applicable to the whole group. The only way you can really describe them or, or, or put them in a nutshell, so to speak, is scientifically. And if you call, call them the shiradrii or caradrii, depending on your pronunciation preference, um, that is what encompasses them. because Within that group, you have birds that look like gallinules, like the, the jacanas. You have birds that look like grouse in the seed snipe. Birds that look like pigeons in the, 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 the sheep bills. And recently, just been added, are the button quails, which of course look like quails. So you try taking all of that and all the standard plovers and oyster catchers and, and, and try and find something that, that fits them all. It's all down, I think, to biology, taxonomy, that sort of thing. There are, there are bills that go down, there are bills that go up, there are bills that go around to the right. Some are spoon, well, one is spoon-billed, uh, another is um, broad-billed. There, there just doesn't seem to be anything at all. You can encapsulate everything together the habitats their habits their nesting proclivities there is nothing that, that makes this uh, a, a cohesive group except perhaps if you start dissecting them and looking at their their reproductive organs or, or the shape of their bones and that sort of thing which makes it really difficult to define them and in a previous book of mine called an inspiration of waders i actually devoted a chapter to explaining exactly why you couldn't define these birds easily uh, other than through the, the the use of this scientific catch-all and then how many books have you written uh in total four um one, one was many years ago which i'm not terribly proud of which was called Conf confessions of bird guide it, it wasn't lascivious or, or anything like that it was just uh, well you know your first effort you're never really proud of since then we've written um a children's book called yuri the spoonbill sandpiper which um, was six to 11 year olds. It tells the story of a uh, um, spoonbill sandpiper called Yuri, who travels down to Southeast Asia, it starts in the egg, travels to Southeast Asia on his first migration, bimbles around a bit, then goes back and breeds for, for himself. Really highlighting the, to children the, the, the sort of the, the, the stark life that these poor little birds and um, the battle that they have for survival. The next one after that was uh, an inspiration of waders, which um, draws on 
how wages have inspired us and, and in some very surprising ways, but in, in sort of music, literature, art, um, poetry, things like the Guinness Book of Records or the World Book of Records, as it's called now, um, that was inspired by a golden plover, would you believe? And there's all sorts of things that culture and so on and so forth, which are surprisingly um, have, can be linked back to being inspired by waders. And also the collective noun for a group of unidentified or a mixed flock of waders in flight, um, like a murmuration is for starlings, we coined inspiration of waders because of all this inspiration that waders have given us. And that was the purpose of the book really was to introduce this idea of them being inspiring. And of course, this, the, the latest one now, which is a quest for waders, which is um, you know, about the travels that we did in order to raise money for the Spoonbill Sandpiper and how Wader Quest all started in the first place. Hi, my name is Chris, and I'm the host of the Birding Life Youth Podcast, the show where we dive into the minds of the young birders in our world to find out what makes them tick. Our first podcast is now online. The guest for this podcast is Daniel Engelbrecht. We speak about many topics related to birds, including a story of an embarrassing misidentification. This will be a bi-weekly podcast, with the next podcast coming out on the 31st of October. From exciting twitches to embarrassing dips, we will be covering stories of what energizes the young birders in our world. Be sure to stay in the loop by following us on your preferred podcast streamer, and like, follow, and subscribe to all of the Birding Life's social media platforms. And then I was reading up a little bit about your book, Quest for Waders, and it mentions that you have gone through a personal family tragedy. Can you tell us a little bit about this part of your life and also how it has shaped your journey? Well, yes, it was. It was the, my brother David, my oldest brother. He he had uh, he, he'd been uh, battling leukemia for nineteen years. Um, he, he he had a, a fairly uh, well, you can't be fairly unique, but a unique situation where where some of the, some of the things that were being done were working, some weren't, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and and they couldn't really fathom out what uh, you know what what his why it was that he wasn't reacting to certain things or why he's reacting to others so he was being used a little bit as a guinea pig um because people with leukemia so it's, it's a terrible thing and, and very often they don't live for very long but he did this for 19 years and then um i was driving down to pick him up from hospital one day and and uh, um, this was just after we'd started uh, we it was three days before we were due to fly out to australia for the first time or you know for the, for the for the event and i got a phone call from my father in tears just to tell me that my brother had just rung to say that um, he'd just been given three months to live now obviously we, you know we had a lot planned in the next three months um with traveling to to australia new zealand and indeed probably to south africa and so that all just sudden just fell apart the whole thing fell apart and it was it was a, it was a bizarre a very bizarre journey after I picked him up you know it was a lot of laughter a lot of tears and it was it was a very very um, strange thing the thing that struck me most about it was the fact that he was so concerned about everybody else now if it were me and I'd just been told I got three months to live I would be worried about me but no he was worried about everybody else and that just about typified him and actually this book is uh, dedicated to his memory uh, so yeah, that that was that was it. So we did we had a three month moratorium um, 
to, to give him the best of our attention and you know to be with the family for that those three months it's really amazing how these little parts of our lives reshape us i mean the start of my birding journey was when my mother passed away from cancer and yeah it's a lot of times i see certain birds and yeah memories go back to when you know my mother and the start of this this journey so it's amazing how you know birding is a lot more than just the birds we see but the life that happens alongside the birds we see and just it's it's amazing so rick um why Waiter Quest? You have uh, gone on online and read up a little bit about Waiter Quest. Um, why did you start um, this up? Well, initially the idea was um, when we came back from uh, Brazil, we were casting around really for something to do. We, we liked the fact that we'd been involved in conservation and we wanted to do something similar here. Coincidentally, one of the things that had happened was that I'd read about Spoonbilled Sandpiper and how within five years it might be extinct if we didn't do something about it and it was a bird that I longed to see for a very long time and the, the thought that I may never get to see one um, as happened with the slender bill curlew here in, in it used to come to Morocco and I, I'd missed an opportunity to go and see that I was determined that, that wasn't going to happen and so we set about trying to maximize the chances of seeing a spoonbill sandpiper by going to Pactalay or to Thailand in the November of the year that we came back, 2012. In looking at all the aspects of ensuring that we got to tick this thing off, we learned more and more about what was causing this bird's problems. And it suddenly occurred to us that indeed, perhaps rather than just go and tick it off, we, we ought to contribute to trying to stop it becoming extinct. And that's really where the idea came from. We, there's nothing much we could do. We're not scientists or anything of that nature. So we, we said, well, raising money is the only thing we could do. And so this trip that we'd got planned to go and see the Spoonies in November, we said, well, why don't we extend that? Why don't we make this something bigger? And then perhaps we can sort of advertise it. And people will sort of buy into the idea perhaps and, and sponsor us. All of the... Uh, expenses we paid for ourselves out of the sale of our house in Brazil and um, so all the money that was donated to us went to Spoonbill Sandpipers. So that was really how it became about waders because we decided to make the connection of as we traveled around the world to you know we would go and look for waders specifically because they were related to Spoonbill Sandpipe and that is why it was called Wader Quest. On your website for WaderQuest, you make a very bold statement. I'm going to read this out to you. I'm going to ask you to comment on it. It says this here, We aim to demonstrate that waders are not just worth saving for the sake of saving them, but that they are an integral part of our ecosystem and that their well-being and future are linked to the well-being and future of all life forms of the planet, including our own. How does the well-being of waders actually impact us in the long run? Because I can imagine there's people who would read that statement and say, surely that's a little bit of an exaggeration. How, do, how does the well-being of waders affect humans? Well, it, 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 yeah, I, I can see exactly what you're, you're, you're driving at here. What I, I'm not saying there that if we make waders safe, the world will be saved. You know, the humanity will be kept intact for perpetu in perpetuity. But if we let all the waders go, then that's it. That's it for the human race. We're all going to, to die a horrible death. It's part of this, this, this greater understanding, really, that people have now that, that we are 
part of this. We're not aside from it. We're not apart from it. We can't just look at the, the world and say, you know, we, we are separate from it. And birds for a long time have been thought of as being indicator birds. I mean, back to the canary in the mine situation. And waders, they, they are a, a really interesting and important indicator of what's going on in, in our world. Because they span such a large part of our world, and because they also appear in so many different habitats, all the way from deserts through to you know, any wetland you can think of, even spending part of their time out at sea like phalaropes, we get a great indication from these birds of what is happening to our world. Now, 48% of the known uh, populations of waders in the world are declining. A third, roughly a third of all wader species are either near threatened or threatened in some way, vulnerable, endangered, critically endangered, or even extinct. And those are phenomenal statistics. When you see what has happened to curlews in this country, for particularly in Ireland, for 97% of the breeding birds have gone. Surely this, this is what is, it's telling us is that all is not well with the world. And there are a number of reasons this is happening. I can't go through them all now because we'd be here to Timbuktu. So it, it's, it, it just is that they are such an indicator of a, such a wide variety of, of um, problems that the world's facing that if we do something to address the problems they are facing, we are at the same time making the, the continuity of life on this planet probably that much easier. I, th I think the thing, Rick, is just on two things. I think firstly, the fact that most of the problems that, if not all to an extent, that waders are facing and the natural world is facing is because of humans. Surely there's a responsibility we, we carry to actually have, we can't just turn and say, well, we're not going to do anything about it. And the second thing, I think as birders, there's even a greater responsibility. And we got and, and birders enjoy looking at waders, putting a scope up. I, you know, there's almost a responsibility. If we want to keep on enjoying these birds going forward, there's, we've, we've got to be willing to be part of the solution in the long run. Yes, uh, I agree with both of those, those, those thoughts. I mean, absolutely. Um, we, we all have a responsibility um, to the, 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 the meekest of, of creatures that lives in our garden. We, we, we have this responsibility because, as you say, it is we that are changing things. We're changing the world and, and making it uninhabitable. And these little links in this, in this great big chain mail of, of life that we live in, little links fall out. And when they do, they make the whole structure begin to become weak. And, and really what I'm saying is the waders are a terrific indicator of this. And if, if we can make things better for the waders, which means we've made things better for myriad other creatures that, that share environments with them, then we are doing ourselves a favor because this, this whole, whole structure needs to remain intact. And you're right, as birders, uh, one of the things that, that does sometimes irk me when people say, well, at least I've seen one, when, you know, in a conversation about uh, something becoming extinct or, or no longer breeding in a particular area. So, well, you know, I'm glad I've seen one. It's good that you've seen it, but that, that shouldn't stop you worrying about the fact that it's not there anymore. So how does Wader Quest function on a practical level? We have a management structure, which is, it's, um, we have a, a board of trustees that keep us true and, you know, and, and make sure that we do what we are supposed to be doing legally. And, I, and just recently we've set up a, um, um, what we call an executive committee and they are 
they're the, the doers, if you like, the people that um, help Elise and me to run uh, Way to Quest. When we, we've been doing this now for, for seven odd, well, eight years, and there, there comes to a point where, where if you're going to continue to, to grow, you do begin to need help. I mean, you can't get everything done yourself. And that is, that is why we, we, we've um, sought the help of these people. And they're very, very kindly um, volunteered to do so. So that, that's the just sort of the physical structure of it. But we, we have two aims. One is the raising of awareness, which we think is absolutely crucial. And if we did nothing else, that would be the thing that we would want to continue uh, because we believe that it is vitally important that that people know the 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 australians had a a, um, a campaign they called it the silent silent shorebird crisis and it, it it just about epitomized what we are worried about and what was happening all the things that were happening to waders seemed to be going under the radar there were a lot of talk about conservation and talk rainforests and global warming or whatever but the, what was happening to them specifically was seeming to get lost and thankfully, in this day and age, we have social media, which means that, that making the point, getting across exactly what you're doing today and what we try to do all the time is letting people know. The other side, of course, the second aim is to raise money to help conservation projects. So we raise money in two different ways. One is the administration side. So we, we make sales of books and pin badges and, and the, the like. And we have members who are known as friends of WaderQuest and also corporate sponsors. They all give us an income to keep the thing going. And we, we, we are then able to say that every single donation, every penny of every donation will be ring-fenced, put aside, and will only be used for wader conservation projects. And those projects, the ones that we choose and we look for and, and, and follow up on, are those which are basically smaller projects normally we we do make donations to bigger causes um if we if we feel it's something we, we're particularly interested in or or think is crucial but basically we're looking for people who have a project and maybe need to buy some fencing or get some posters made or, or that sort of thing and we can say yes we'll get those made for you don't worry about the money for that we'll do that and those projects generally involve local communities and local community con conservation i think or many other people like, like me think it is one of the crucial ways to go forward if we all look after our own backyard then you know the the, the superb job that these overseeing organizations do on much bigger scale will be much more solid and much more worthwhile and then something quite exciting coming up from the 31st of october to the 1st of november you'll be hosting the Wader Conservation World Watch. Can you tell us a little bit about this event and also how people can get involved? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, it, it's, um, it's purely a fun thing, but with a, a sort of serious side to it, if you like. Unlike some of the, the other um, events that they have, worldwide events, you, there's no need to register or anything like that. You don't have to sign up to any special websites. You just literally, you will go out on the 31st or the 1st and see some waders, we hope. You will then write them down, remember them, whatever you like, and then send an email, a simple email to us, and we will answer all emails personally and just tell us what you saw, um, where you saw it, and with whom. And then from that, we will then create um, what we call a, a newsletter special, which has basically a roll of honour with everybody's name in it from around the world, all the um, collective 
waders species seen and some sort of stories and, and, and bits and pieces from people who've seen special birds or done special things in order to see birds etc etc the point of it is firstly it's timed to meet our anniversary started on the 1st of november 2012 and that is why it's then um, it's designed for that purpose and it is more a celebration of wader conservation so we're, we're asking people to say literally by taking part what you're saying is hey i've seen what's happening i'm aware of what's happening and this is my way of telling everybody else that i know what is happening and encouraging other people to be aware you're standing up to say i care about waders and and that you know it, it's that sort of feel to the whole event that we're trying to engender rather than being anything scientific you know it's citizen science is is fantastic and we, we love it but this is not the the, the crucial um side of what we do for that event and then for southern african um listeners i can i see that bird lasser is a part of it which is an amazing amazing app and i'm sure it's very easy to almost register just using the bird lasser app yeah and we're, we're thrilled actually um it, it's our friends here i've mentioned at way to quest south africa and um, that's uh suano and Ertley and and peter and jenny charlotte they were they they have been so generous to us they they were with us and took us on our, 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 a grand tour of, of Southern Africa, including Botswana and Namibia, just to look for waders when we were doing our thing. And they, they became um, very much involved, and that is how WaderQuest South Africa evolved. And they have been so supportive. And it's largely due to them, or entirely due to them, actually, that um, Birdlasser is involved. They, they take this event quite seriously each year and they've always reached out to as many people as possible. And Bird Lasser is, is just another a, a, a way of making it fun for people as well. You know, we, we don't insist that people sign up to things, but we, the way Bird Lasser and, and Way to Quest South Africa together have organised this, it looks like a lot of fun. And so surely that's, that's what it's all about. So basically, they'll just register for the challenge on Birdlass, and the, the birds that they log over that weekend would be automatically go into the you know into the database. Yes, whatever happens um, at the end of the the event, the WadeQuest South Africa will do a summary of it and send us all the details. If people want to to write emails to us themselves individually and don't want to sign up to Birdlasser, in the same way that we say people can send their stuff to eBird or BirdTrack or any of these other citizen science things, they're all great things to do. We wouldn't say don't do it, but some people just don't want to do that. Some people don't have that sort of involvement and would just rather write down a list as an email to someone. And so we like to make it simple uh, and, and easily accessible to everybody. And Rick, just as a last question, is there space for another one of these events? And the reason I ask that is, there was recently the World Migratory Bird Day. The past weekend was the Global Bird Weekend. Why another event? Well, that is a good question, actually. And uh, we've been going for seven years now, so it's, it's hardly a, a sort of a, a new thing. However, let me put it this way. Uh, I think, we believe, that everything should have its special day. I know that sounds ridiculous, and not all birders will, will take part in everything. I mean, this, this new event last week, our friend Tim Appleton uh, put together the Global Bird Day. It was a phenomenal success, absolutely fantastic, and got birders out all over the world. Fantastic. But you see, if we, could, if we would just have one every year for everything, 
or a couple of things, you know, a couple of different ones. I think that would you would miss an opportunity for, for individual groups of birds or uh, birds which are specifically in trouble, like uh, the waders. Let me put it this way. If I said to you, Adam, we're not going to celebrate your birthday this year. It's your special day, but we're not having it because someone else is having a special day. And so we're going to make your special day part of their special day. So you will then be diluted somewhat by sharing your birthday with somebody, um, somebody else. And, and therefore it wouldn't therefore be your special day anymore. And, and that is kind of how we feel about it. We, we really want people to notice waders and what is happening. And if we were to be subsumed into another uh, event, which we're not saying would never happen, but if that were to happen, it, it would not be so much about the waders. It's just that we would be taking the wader part out of something else. And, and that really wouldn't be the emphasis that we, we are trying for. Rick, it's been really great to chat to you. And I just want to for people that want to get in touch with you, if they want more information about either Wader Quest or the Conservation World Watch that's coming up, how can they get hold of you? Well, they can do it very simply through through email. I think you can look for us on the social medias. We, you know, we have Facebook and, and Twitter and um, Instagram, that sort of thing. But there are two emails that you can use. One is WCWW, that's for Wader Conservation World Watch. So it's WCWW at waderquest.net if you're in the information you require is of a broader nature just substitute wcww with info so it's info at waderquest.net and then you will get through to us and uh, you know we'll be delighted to to answer any queries you have or help you in any way we can especially if you're in need of some sort of funding perhaps and of course www.waderquest.net is the is the um, website and you can get get in touch with us through that as well we are proud to be working in association with wild books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price if you would like to support the birding Life project and the resources that we are putting out please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a laugh list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.